Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome, everyone, to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir alongside Gino Bacola, and we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. NBA Conference Finals, MLB, a little Preakness recap, and we're also yeah, going to talk about the NFL. Let's shout little- it out to, uh, to Craig first, man. we got to really give it up to Craig because when we were talking last week, Preakness, we were going through the field. We went horse by horse, and I think what ended up happening is we kind of we got to – um, towards the, towards the end of the field, and we started just kind of talking in general about the sports betting and everything. And Craig made a point when we went through the break to tell us during the commercial break, "Hey, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about Bravazo when we come back because this is yeah, a horse he sure did. absolutely yep." So really, got to give it up to Craig because you know in a, in a race that we most of us thought wasn't really even a good betting race or a race where we weren't going to be able to find value, he found the way to make some money, and that was putting Justify on top of uh, Bravazo and Tenfold. And that, honestly, that was really the only way you were going to be able to make some money is if you got a couple price horses underneath Justify. He did that. He sniffed out the right one. So great job by Craig. We love having him on. Yeah, and ju- just, to, just to get everybody up to speed, uh, Gino's referring to our guest from last week, Craig Milkowski from Time From US, and we broke down the Preakness field one by one, and you know he was – you know, in a tough position of trying to find some value in that field. And he identified a spot on as to where it was you were going to find value without having to be justified. So definitely props to him. What did you think of the race overall? Are you, know, you on, as down on justify as some people no, are? No, you know, or no? see, it's funny. I, I got like, I'm one of the guys that in a race like that, I, I want to see the horse win, right? I, if he doesn't win, then I'm saying, okay, he, he, he didn't win. Well, I, he did everything he needed to do to win. I don't care about the maybe he looked a little tired. I don't care about the, you know, the margin of victory wasn't a lot. Got to remember, too, it's a, a off the racetrack. Things were a little bit different. He was battling. I'll tell you the one thing that I did take, Mike, out of both of these two races. I, I gained a lot of respect for good magic. Um, is what I really did because I wasn't I wasn't really high on Good Magic coming into the Triple Crown series, really not at all. And he ran a really good race in the Derby, and he ran his eyeballs out, man. Good Magic was down on the inside of Justify. He, as an um, if I were an owner or a jockey or a trainer, that's how I would want my horses to run. You know, Good Magic was fourth. If he would have let Justify go to the lead and pro- and just kind of get a two or three length lead and cruise around. He could have finished second, you know, but it probably would have yeah, been second. Yeah, and I didn't, find any, I, I didn't find any uh, blame, blame on the jockey, by the way. I think he no, did what the race forced him to do. Exactly. He got, it, was, it was bad racing luck. You know, we hear bad racing luck and we hear uh, bad, tough trips, things like that. Our buddy Jonathan Stetton, the Pick 6 King, he actually wrote an interesting, uh, our, uh, an interesting piece on that this weekend. You can find it at PassTheWire.com, talking about the difference between a bad ride and, like, an unlucky and a bad trip. When Diamond King and um, Quip... And some of the horses that we thought were going to be on the lead didn't end up breaking well, and they're not on the lead. 
what do you do if you're good magic? You know, you, you don't want to let this horse get out front by two or three lengths and just cruise and walk all the way around the racetrack. So immediately your hand is forced and your plan, you have to call in audible, right? You have to, you, you can't just say, you know what? We have this game plan. We have to follow it. Now everything has changed. This horse has opened up by two lengths. If I don't go right now and try to soften him up, he's going to be, you know, he's going to win this race easy. And at the top of the lane, good magic. He looked like he was like poking his head back in front, you know, one t- a time or two. I just think it was just a little bit too much being down on the inside. But I, I, I was very impressed with him. I was very impressed with Justify. And no matter what, Mike, if, we are, if we're going to line up in a couple weeks to try to beat him, that's fine. But I want to give Justify all the props until then. Because yeah. what he's done is incredible in such a short amount of time from February to now to – to have to deal with all of this, to come back in two weeks with another off racetrack to deal with, to have to, this was the first time that he really got hit in the mouth, right? And he responded. We've never really seen Justify tested at all, but we did this time and he responded. I'll probably be just from a value-based standpoint, from a wagering standpoint, most of us will probably be lining up against him in a a couple weeks because that's that's how you make money. But uh, I'm, I'm more... Um, convinced that he has a shot after the Preakness than I was before the Preakness. Let's say that. Yeah, you know, I equated to... Are flip-flopped. Sure. And, you know, I equated to uh, maybe in baseball, a late-season call-up who does really, really well. And I know in baseball, a late-season call-up in September wouldn't be able to play in the playoffs. But let's just say, and he gets a ball in game one as a starter and wins, you know, with a shutout. And game two comes in and wins, you know, four to two. You know, that type of you know, like an awe type performance where you have somebody with very little experience, this, the, the stage, the lights are bright and comes in and delivers. Now, in that race specifically, I'll use another analogy, I'll equate it to a football team that has the game in hand, wire to wire, they're up by 10 all the way throughout, and then there's a backdoor touchdown at the end. Makes the score look like the final margin was three points, but you and I know, because we watched the entire game, that that team had the control throughout the matchup and that's what i you know when i go back and watch a justify race yeah the margin maybe wasn't a a crushing defeat which is what everybody seems to want to see when you're talking about great horses and triple crown horses but you said it this horse is only five races deep i mean give me a break you know the guy the horse has done everything that he's been asked now you mentioned making an audible earlier let's talk about the horse audible what are your thoughts because to me that is the wild card in this whole equation in terms of setting the pace and the pace to run into when you're talking about a mile and a half race, give me your thoughts. I, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen. This is the one, one of the, the notes that's been going around lately. And one of kind of the, the big topics in horse racing is that now with a lot of these ownership groups that own multiple horses, is it going to be easier, you know, in the future now for horses to win the Triple Crown? Not necessarily easier in that it's never easy to win the three races in the five weeks. It's never easy with the different distances and sometimes dealing with fresh horses. But now are we going to see Justify face some of the similar ownership groups with a horse like Audible? Um, uh, horse, there are a couple other horses, I think, that have some partial ownership. And, you know, even a horse like, for example... Uh, Baffert trains a horse named Axeman, who was extremely impressive on the Preakness undercard. That's the type of horse who would probably come back in the Belmont. Um, 
Now, you know, Baffert's got a horse going for a triple crown. Is he going to go against him? How about Solomini, right? That's the one that I think is interesting. A Baffert-trained horse owned by the Zayats, right? Yeah, and I thought I saw a a, a tweet from Justin maybe suggesting that Solomini wasn't quite right and that was probably most likely a no-go. But it's an intriguing question nonetheless. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just there's a lot of things that are brought up into that because, like, if you're the Zayats, obviously if the horse doesn't, he can't go, but you want to run, right? I mean, you want to make sure, you want to try to deny a horse winning a triple crown. Even if it is for Baffert, you, you owned American Pharaoh. I sure would. You know, that's where this gets tricky because if I was a partial owner of any of these horses, I would say, like, uh, example, if this is you and me, Mike, you know, and we own a horse together, but you own the, the other horse separately, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know me. I'm going to be looking at you saying, Mikey, buddy, I want to win this race. Like, I'm, we're going to be in this damn race, you know? It, like, that, that's such a weird, tricky situation, is it not? It, it is tricky. You know, it really depends. Let's just take the Zayats, for example, because I, I think that's, that's a great example because it's a live one. It's, you know, it's what's currently happening. You have a, a, a team that just recently won a Triple Crown that hadn't been accomplished in 37 years, right? So there's always this thought in any sport that you want to retain your record, hold on to that record, be the last one that did it, most recent one that did it, you know. But it depends on how much vision and foresight and what economic models kind of show. Because I would assume that Ahmed Zaya is knowledgeable enough and has enough vision as a businessman to be able to look at this thing and say, you know what? Yeah, I'd like to retain that, my pride and for my ego and for the horse. I think that sounds really good. But if we get another triple crown, let's just say it elevates the status of the sport a little bit more. And you have more people on the outside that are interested in the sport. The people on the inside become more interested in the last few crops. And maybe it raises the value of horses overall across the board. But See, the only- visionaries kind of look into things deeper than the surface people that are kind of a little bit more on the shallow side will look at it and say, I want to be the only one that has a triple crown recently. So it really depends on what, how the Zayats look at this thing. I suspect that for them, yeah, you know, it would be nice to, to have Pharaoh be the lone winner in modern history. But I have a feeling that economically they're looking at this and saying, you know what, we could make actually a lot more money if he's not. I don't know. That's just a gut nope. feeling of mine that it might the not be problem- a slam dunk, you know, slam nope. dunk of a case as, as it meets the eye. The only problem with that is, did that happen when American Pharaoh won? It didn't. You know, that was, remember, that's been the thing for the last well, but 20 look, years. Look at the stud fees. The sport. And well, hold on, though. Look people, at the stud fees across the board. They're, 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 they're up. And you have Pharaoh that's, he's, a, he's banging his way, Southern Hemisphere, he, Northern Hemisphere, you know? He, and, he individually and the Zayats did well off of that, for sure. That's my point, is that American Pharaoh is no, but I mean, look at the stud fees everywhere else, in, in pop culture. The problem is, is like, the handle's still down. The days of racing are still down. The field sizes are still down. You know what I mean? So, like, on the grand scheme of things, did the Triple Crown winner really help the I, I, I dispute those as absolute facts because everything that I see, there, there are way more headlines suggesting the handle is up, not just in the big races, but in a lot of the other, you know, at the end of each meet, they post the numbers just about everywhere. Now, I'm not, I don't know about Finger Lakes, right? I don't know about you know, uh, Fairmont Park. But I mean, across the board, at the end of every meet, I don't recall seeing a meet saying that year over year that there's been a decrease in handle. 
And I would uh, challenge anybody uh, that that follow, presents follow those to show me. Follow and I will retweet them for you today. It's handles like way down over you. It's not even close. It's not uh, even close. For which track? Uh, uh, every track overall. It's not even close. I'll post them for you right now. We're that's like that's why we're. <laughs> I don't know if the handle is up, the tracks would be going up. You know, I'll, I'll tweet it out. And, and also the, the field sizes, I'd say the averages in, in the last two years have actually started creeping upwards again. Again, I, I would like to see uh, numbers improving otherwise because I'm seeing yeah, I mean, something but, totally different. But you know, that's that's the problem though. One or two places like Gulfstream in Florida does okay, but then the rest of the world, the rest of the United States doesn't like. I don't think one person can honestly be looking at Southern California racing right now and say it's thriving. And this morning, there's actually a, there's actually a, a meeting going on right now where I'm seeing they're talking about um, there's a CHRB meeting going on where they're ta- a lot of the actually a lot of like betters showed up because of the the incident that happened a few weeks ago with the bad uh, inquiry and the disqualification, and it's kind of to the point where uh, Tim Ritvo was kind of saying that he thought the stewards should be moved or fired because they're costing California racing handle. Oh, I think California's got a slew of issues. Don't get me wrong. So, I'm know, not saying that, that, that the CHRB doesn't one, have issues to handle. If we see like one or two tracks that seem like the racing product is a little bit better for each one of those, the problem is, is like our friends in Michigan that, we, uh, that won our contest, their tracks are done. You know what I mean? Like, so when we look around, the, the big problem isn't, isn't the big days. It isn't the days that they show on Saturday on NBC. It's the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the other 320 days of the year. Those I'll tell you what. Why don't days. we have uh, – let's, let's do this. Let's see where everybody stands on this issue. I've delineated my point. Gino has his. Where do you guys side? I know there's, a, there's some folks that are live listeners, but I would say a vast majority listen on demand, right? Gino and I look at the numbers every week, and there are a slew of on-demand listeners through Apple iTunes or through the site directly or through Voice America. Thank you to all those listeners, by the way. We're very appreciative of that. Whether you're listening live, whether you're listening in a few hours or tomorrow, tweet, at, tweet us. Uh, t- let us know where you stand on this issue. Are you seeing numbers that are up? Send over your tweets uh, on how, where you side on this issue and cite your statistics. And for those who think that it's down, send it over. Let's, uh, let's have a Twitter debate. Talk it out. See where we come on this issue. Because I think there could be stats that are found on each side of the equation. And it might be one of those things where nobody's wrong on either side of the fence. Because you, you know how statistics are. You could kind of frame something to prove your point. <laughs> In any way you can by by how you you posture the stats, you know what I mean. So it'll be interesting to see uh, re- to revisit this issue and see how it comes out. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, the 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 thing is, is that overall the handle is down. It's not like at all. You know what I mean? It's just uh, the key is now what will happen if this sports betting will kind of you know tweak into it and help it because I think that a lot of the racetracks will be saved, like we said, in a lot of the parlors, but I just hope, I don't know if the money's going to go back into racing. But what I, I like what I see when I have, and there's a meeting like that this morning and the guy in charge of Santa Anita is saying he notices some problems because right off the bat, most, most of the time, it's like when you, any of us have a problem, the first point is you got to admit you got a problem. Sure. You, know, you have to notice the problem is there, and you have to make, make, be aware that it's there in order to deal with the problem. So I like that they're 
already no, they're noticing it right now at Santa Anita. There's too many meetings that go by, and there's too many times where they go, oh, that wasn't a big deal, nothing happened. And you just have betters and people who keep spending their money, and they're frustrated. So I, I like to see that, that this morning it's just one small thing, but as someone like me who's a better that spends hundreds of thousands of dollars playing at Santa Anita, I've become very soured recently. And so at least I want to see things turning in the right direction if I'm going to continue to invest my money, you know. And just so that everybody knows, you know, Gino and I, uh, not on a show, but just in a private conversation, I kind of had to do everything that I could to walk Gino off the ledge. So he's been very disgruntled, very outspoken about it, about some of the issues confronting racing. You know, I'm kind of the optimist between the two of us and very hopeful that these issues are addressed. Hopefully today is kind of a first step. I've always wondered why they keep tabling the exchange wagering issue. It already passed legislation in California. Uh, it's just a matter, as far as I know, right now where it stands is having the horsemen all come together and decide on how to break up the pie, right? How do you, how do you break up this uh, percentage and, and make this happen? They haven't come up with a reason yet for uh, anything other than that being a hindrance. So I don't know why they keep tabling it. I think it's been over two years now. But see, things like that are kind of, the exotic prop bet, so to speak, of horse racing, the things that can maybe lure people that normally wouldn't be into it. A lot of the stock traders, stock brokers, things of that nature. It's a lot more mathematical. It's a, it's fun in a very, very different way. Maybe you could call it reverse handicapping. Maybe you could call it in-game wagering, whatever you want to call it. There are many interesting facets to exchange wagering. And by the way, one of the top arguments against is, well, if you have people bet against a horse to win, then that's going to introduce corruption. That's a bunch of malarkey because the way I see it, this is all done through individual accounts where we have your social security number, your address, et cetera. So if there's any foul play going on, we know exactly where the source is. Where right now, if there's foul play, somebody does an autotope machine, we never get to find out. So how can you sit here and tell me that one is more apt to lead to corruption than the current system? Just doesn't make sense. That's my... We'll see. That's that's all this stuff we we just don't know. That's the problem. There's so much that we have no. Like in the next year, there's going to be so much happening with like each individual state. What's going to happen now? It's looking like Delaware is going to beat Monmouth to the punch. (laughs) From what I'm seeing, Uh, Monmouth had a little. Isn't Monmouth ready to go this weekend for Memorial? No, they were supposed to be ready to go by the 28th, and I think um, I think Memorial Day. Now I was was hearing that there might have been Delaware might be ready to rock and roll. So there's going to be a lot of little things. Which, by the way, it makes sense because Delaware Delaware has had a parlay card out for a couple years now. Yeah, so um, they're not too far off. So it's it's it's, honestly there's so much stuff that like nobody knows. The experts have no idea. It's all going to be legal type stuff, and there's going to be some challenges from certain places and from who wants a percentage of this and that. So it's going to be a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo in the next six months in particular. And then it probably, it'll probably take a year or two, honestly, for at least some of the states. But from what everything that I've been reading, this is going to be like a decade, about, probably about 10 years before really it's all settled because it's, it's going to be each individual state one at a time. And, exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and that's why I am an optimist, by the way, Gino, because I think that horse racing has a lot of time to be able to, to solve this. But you know what? Time flies and you blink your eye and boom, five years is up. Major changes have been made everywhere else. If you don't play catch up or if you're trying to play catch up, you're going to be screwed. So you got to get on this now. You got to pretend that this is all going to go through in six months to a year and not wait it out. But they do have time, fortunately, to be able to make some changes. Let's see. Hey, traveling a little bit south of Delaware is Florida. 
And we're going to take our first commercial break right afterwards. We're going to talk a little NFL, change the uh, topic for a few minutes, talk some Buccaneers football, talk some NFL headlines with Greg Allman of the Tampa Bay Times. Stay with us. We'll take a first break right now. We'll be back in a few short moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready for the latest sports news, the culture around the game, and unique insight? Then you need to make Kareem and the Coach your destination each week. Host Kareem Rush played for the LA Lakers and has the inside track to personas in both professional and college sports. Co-host Eric Newman is a former basketball coach and now a producer and filmmaker. Together they cover sports and entertainment in a fast-paced hour every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. We were just talking about the horse racing handle. And before we leave that conversation, during the commercial break, Gino and I were talking. And he made a really good point, which is, hey, you may have seen certain statistics that show you how handle is up. But be careful what you look at, because sometimes these numbers are manipulated in certain ways to make it look positive or advantageous for whoever's doing the promoting. So what I suggest is that everybody too, right? Well, well, let me just say this. I I think that everybody should take to task the sources. In other words, if we see contrary evidence, I think it's time now for the people to kind of speak up and to actually take everybody to task, right? Go back to that source and say, I'm going to call bullshit on you guys. Straight up. Because yeah, I think we, we probably follow a few different people on, online and stuff in social media circles because a lot of the people that I follow do. And that, those are the people that are there this morning at the, the meetings calling them out. 
And those are the people that are saying, and it's not, and, and this is the thing, I don't ever want to come off as like someone who doesn't like horse racing because that's the, that's the main, if I didn't, I wouldn't care. It'd be so easy for me to just say, oh, big deal, I'm done, I move on to something else. But I, I love, to me, more than anything, I love the horses, but I, I love the challenge. That's what I've always enjoyed from day one, the challenge of, okay, here's a horse race. How is this race going to unfold? Who's going to the lead? Who's, how is it going to set up? What happened in this horse last race that, to make him run so poorly? Why is he going to run better this time? What did the trainer do to tweak them? Is this trainer better with things? That's what I love. The stuff that I don't love is the, you know, the takeout being hiked. The stuff that I don't love is being called stupid. The stuff that I don't love is, um, you know, less, uh, you know, what you just said, no transparency at all. Give me transparency. In a game where, where I'm gambling, you've got to be really transparent with me, right? And that's what I think is actually going to happen in, 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 grand, in the grand scale. In sports, people are worried about um, are people going to be throwing games or this or that. Well, there's, like you said, there's going to be a paper trail that can lead back to, to a lot of things now. There's going to be a lot of people investigating things in different ways now because of the, the legalized gambling. So, um, yeah, yeah, and by the way, I, I think you. that there's going to be certain things that are maybe comments that are made in jest which are going to be way, way, way more scrutinized. I'll give you a quick example. Yeah, I'll give you a really quick example. So uh, in the 80s and 90s, there was a major league all-star named Lenny Dykstra. He was in the news yesterday for an arrest. Won't necessarily get into that specifically. But he actually released a book the other year where he said that he hired a private investigator in 1993. And this investigator was solely responsible for digging up dirt on umpires. So this umpire, this investigator did so, pulled up all sorts of dirt on umpires, and Lenny Dykstra kind of threatened these umps like, hey, I'm going to go public with this information or that information you slept with so-and-so or whatever. Who knows what the hell he found? And he is like, in his book, he says, just look at my stats year over year. And when I was with the Phillies, look how I never used to have any walks. And then all of a sudden, it spiked to 129. He's like, that's the year that I took the umpires to task. And threatened them. And so I got a lot of walks. They didn't call strikes on me. Went to, from like 30 or 40 walks a year to 129. Just something ridiculous. Now, that comment probably was frowned upon by MLB. But imagine a comment like that two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. It's going to be holy hell or high water. Right? So things like that are really, really interesting. Or how about like uh, uh, Donahue, the NBA referee that was kind sure. of throwing games for over-unders. You know, oh, things yeah. like that are really, really, really going to be at the forefront when you're talking about transparency, things of that nature, yeah. like you're talking. about. So horse racing has to have that. But I think we both agree. The main issue is that when they set this up from the beginning, it was all controlled by the states. And as it probably should be. I mean, even like the, the sports wagering is going to be controlled by the states as well. The problem is that horse racing never set up a main governing body. So when you don't have that, when you don't have a central authority that everybody can listen to, a commissioner that can impose fines or penalties, even the playing field, uniformity among stewards and rules, and what happens when your horse scratches in the middle of a pick three, what happens when you change surfaces in the middle of a pick six, all of these archaic things that we've got in place, you know, that uh, the betters don't like. You know, I mean, how many times I've, have I had a single and a pick four, that horse scratches, and now I get the horse that I was trying to beat in the first place. Kind of yeah. sucks. So, you know, you can, you, and it, they're little, they're all little things, but those are the one, the only things that concern me going forward is that I, if in the last, like I said, we, you know, something we mentioned too, in the last five or 10 years, if I had seen 
some positive strides, some things that seem like we were moving forward, um, I would feel a little bit better. I just I haven't quite seen that, so I, I will keep our fingers crossed, and we hope, um, and, and I'll hope, because they have an in. The next year has got to be when horse racing takes advantage, because the, if it's a year from now, Mike, and we're still talking, and a lot of these new parlors and places have opened up, and the field sizes really haven't gotten any bigger. The horse population really hasn't gotten any bigger. There's no more extra days running. There's not any extra buzz about horse racing. If like a year has passed and nothing has happened, then we're in some big trouble. Because this is the next year when we really, and I say we, horse racing really has to take advantage of, of being in the forefront. Because if it, if it doesn't take advantage of this little edge that it has now, you know, in a year we're going to be dealing with an industry who knows gamble like, you know, we're going to be dealing with a lot of these people that are going to be coming out from Vegas that know the gambling side of things very, very well and how to treat their customers and how to keep the customers coming back. That's going to be the key now. we got a billion-dollar competitor in sports betting. How are we going to keep the, the bettors coming back to horse racing? Is it going to be lowering the takeout, offering a better product, offering um, some sort of different anything, like you said, just out of the, uh, creative outside-of-the-box thinking. That's what's necessary right now. It's not like, oh, maybe we need – that is what is necessary. Like, there needs to be some radical movement right now. Yeah, let me ask you a quick question before we bring uh, Greg on here. Do you think – so I'm sure you've heard the argument that the leagues, when uh, the sports wagering news came out, they all kind of were like, well, we want to get a percentage for providing sure. you the statistics and we have proprietary information, which is the which are these statistics. And that earns us a piece. And that'll go to us kind of policing things and integrity fee is what they call it. Do you think they're, they should be entitled to an integrity fee? I mean, they're running the games anyways. They're doling out they're, the stats for fantasy and for everything else anyways. Should they be entitled to something? <laughs> I'll say this. I understand why they're doing it, right? You know, once it becomes legal, it's like, hey, we're going to do everything we can to take a piece. So I get why they're doing it. On, and you um, know, by the way, the implications are, from, from what I'm seeing, what would normally be a minus 110 is probably going to be a minus 120 now. Yeah. And if then, everybody gets their, their piece. And then, then what's going to happen is you're going to, yeah, this is the kind of thing we're talking about over the next 10 years because then what's going to happen is you're going to have different, like, well, well one state try to lower it. To 115, to 110 back again, just to make sure that they can get maybe more transactions, you know, like they can get more money flowing through them. I so don't it's know. almost like, like people is- could be shoppers potentially because all you have to do is not be a resident, but you just have to be physically present be to physically punch the ticket. So you drive state lines and you go yeah, to the well, parlor and then boom, you get a better. But because that's what I was If you're a $100,000 player and above, it's worth it, right? Oh, and I was listening the other day, and that was the thing. You're not going to be able to do that, really, I don't think, Mike, because if, it's going to have to be pretty close to uniform because there, people will the, – the big bettors and the, and the big whales, they will sniff out any sort of, um, any sort of value that's, that's off. You know, Absolutely. anything, because that was the problem with, I was listening, they're talking about the, the, the big problem they're having in Vegas right now with the Golden Knights lines, you know, is that they had all these people bet the future wagers on the Golden Knights, they were trying to tweak the lines so that way they could maybe, like, not lose a lot of money on them, uh, on the opposite, on opposing teams, you know, in the last couple series, but they're just in, in big trouble because no matter how, if they make the line too high on the Knights, then you'll get the Sharps coming in on the other side. 
Sure. You know, sure. And, you, and you don't want to do that because you, you, you can't. Nowadays, there's so much information out. These sharp betters, if you have a line that's just slightly off, they're going to hammer it. No, no doubt about that. You know, and I'm, I'm actually a little bit curious as to uh, where the state of Florida may lie in some of these issues. They've been ahead of the game in a lot of the wagering and poker rooms and things of that nature. Let's bring on our next guest. We're supposed to be talking about the Buccaneers, but we'll talk all things sports. And uh, I'm talking about Greg Amon from the Tampa Bay Times. Greg, good afternoon. How are you, my friend? You're on with Mike and Gino. Oh, well, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, uh, have you had a chance to kind of listen in to some of our conversation about the sports wagering and things of that nature? Have you been following that side of yeah. NFL and sports? And uh, before we talk about the Bucks, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. If you've uh, done any research on it, or do you know where kind of Florida stands with this whole sports wagering thing? You know, I haven't done a ton of reporting on it, but I think the initial read down here is that the Florida is not likely one of the states that's going to implement this right away. Um, it's like uh, saw a map that had states likely to implement in the next two years, in the next five years, and the, and Florida wasn't either of. So I think, um, you know, I think it's something that will come up. Will probably be an election issue. I mean, I think it's something that's going to be pretty divisive here in terms of what is allowed, um, and obviously what they can monetize. I mean, obviously the, the more Gambling revenue you have, the more you can tax, the more revenue you have uh, for the government here in Florida. But no, my initial read on this is that it's something that, as other states pick up and are able to manage, I think they'll probably make it more likely that some of the other states will come on board. But right now, I don't think Florida is going to be at the forefront of of uh, allowing sports gambling in in house here in Florida. Which is really interesting too, because it seems like uh, Florida has every game that nowhere else has, <laughs> you know, in terms of wagering, and and there, there's some some uniqueness with the state of Florida, and obviously horse racing is still uh, you know pretty big uh, over there, and yeah. and uh, right. as well you know greyhound racing, I know for a while there was until I think maybe PETA and the economics of it, and you know that kind of crumbled a little right. bit yeah, here. There's but, a lot of old dog tracks that would love to have something to uh, to bring people back. Um, I just yeah, don't think sure. it's something that's immediate right now. Sure, sure. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears then and uh, talk Mike, a little before, bit. Before we get into football, oh, yeah. I wanted to ask him about the lightning because I saw Greg. I saw you. I was following sure. you on Twitter uh, the last couple of days, and I saw it was a really good season for the lightning. Just a disappointing way to end when you know you have a game seven and you you just don't really make a dent. But another really really impressive season. And I mean, what what we've seen from the Vegas Golden Knights in their um, in their inaugural season is nothing short of incredible. And I think on a national scale, we're not really hearing enough about this expansion team that's in the, uh, in the NHL Stanley Cup final. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I think it's all we're going to be talking about in the next two weeks here. Uh, no disrespect to the Capitals of a great team. Yeah, to be an expansion team, and it's neat here in that there's, uh, there's literally there's seven guys that work for the Buccaneers actually here in Tampa that are part of the uh, marketing and ticketing and uh, business side of the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's neat to have oh, a little tie like that. Um, and, and I think what, what's fun is that I think a lot of people think that the success of this team off the, off the ice has been a function of how amazing they've been on the ice in getting to the NHL Finals as an expansion team. But honestly, this was a hit before it started. I mean, this is something that uh, obviously there was a lot of apprehension nationally about getting in as a pro franchise in Las Vegas. But once they were in, uh, hugely successful in marketing, in, in season tickets, in just becoming uh, a big part of the town. Uh, so it's really been neat. I, I talked to a couple of their people here in the last week for stories we were working on uh, just in case the lightning got there. Um, and, and it's really wild to see how well it's done. And I think the nation will see that here in the next two weeks. That's really interesting stuff. And I'm not a huge hockey guy, uh, gents. 
But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that probably wish that they hadn't allowed some of these uh, great players <laughs> to leave their rosters. I mean, really, really unbelievable how this has all come together. Great, great story. You know, may, maybe a, a movie down the road here. But uh, obviously the sport that I'm intimately involved with is the NFL, as is uh, Greg. He is the uh, beat writer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as well as the NFL overall. So let's talk a little Bucks football. Let's start off with the draft picks. Uh, you know, at the top of the list, you got the kid from Washington. And I know that you cover everything ranging from rookie mini camps to OTAs. What What is the, the feel and the talk so far about how some of these youngsters are looking in these uh, first few days? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a general excitement. I mean, the Bucks, you know, did really well uh, in terms of adding some picks during the draft. You know, traded down from 7 to 12 and picked up two second rounders. So uh, you mentioned Vita Vea, the big 347-pound D-tackle from, from Washington. And I think there's a lot of excitement in terms of what he can do just as part of a massively upgraded defensive line here in Tampa. Uh, but also there's three rookie DBs that are all going to play. Uh, they got Ronald Jones, the running back from USC in the second round. He's going to be uh, likely their primary ball carrier, kind of a, a big play guy they've really missed uh, in the run game. So, no, there's, there's lots of impact they're going to get from the rookies in this draft, and we're just starting to get to know these guys through, uh, through like you said, rookie minicamp and, and now OTAs this week. Fair assessment for me to say that the two biggest areas of concern were red zone offense and just overall upgrading their defense. Are those kind of the two, generally speaking, main areas that the Bucks needed to confront? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, defensively, uh, uh, last and third down conversions, uh, just an all-around bad defense last year. So um, they put a lot of investing into the defensive line. Uh, traded a third-rounder for Jason Pierre-Paul, signed Benny Curry, signed Bo Allen and Mitch Unrind, uh, and then used their top pick on, on a D-tackle in, in Vita Vea. So that's five new defensive linemen that they're going to rotate in out of the eight or nine they use. Um, and it didn't really do a whole lot in the secondary, uh, but I think their, their logic is, is that if they're that much better at the line of scrimmage, it's going to help out the, the guys they've invested in at corner and safety. Uh, red zone offense is a huge part of it. They, they we're a good offense between the 20s last year. They just were, were not good at all in terms of coming away with seven instead of three. Um, and I know that it's a fine line. They were talking this week, uh, and Dirk Cutter was saying, literally, if they had five more red zone touchdowns over the course of a 16-game season, they would rank, I think, eighth in the NFL instead of 24th. Um, but for whatever reason, and I think it, it kind of starts with not having a steady run game. Uh, teams can double cover Mike Evans in the red zone. Jameis wasn't able to get other targets and, and connect with them the way he was supposed to. So all too often they were coming away with only three. And that's how you get a lot of close losses like they had. You know, got a couple right minutes up. before the, Oh, go ahead, Gino. Yeah. Just kind of curious. Where do you stand overall on, on Jameis? You know, um, it seems like the last couple of years, the bucks coming into the, each year have been kind of a, a, a wise guy team that a lot of people expected to take the next leap and we haven't really seen a full season. It seems like with Jameis, you get a, a few steps forward and then a step back, and it's, it's kind of been that way. Where do you stand overall on him? Is he a franchise quarterback type guy? Do you think he is capable of leading a team to the Super Bowl and kind of taking that next step? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think this is a year where he can answer that question pretty definitively. Um, I think last year probably gets a little bit of an asterisk just because he, the shoulder injury was a big part of his season. Uh, missed three games, probably played three or four games trying to push through the injury when he maybe shouldn't have. Uh, so, no, I mean, right now, I mean, James Winston, you know, he still has 
This is his fourth year on his rookie contract. He, he's got his uh, option here, his fifth-year option in 19. Uh, but he's getting to that point where they, they have to decide if this is the guy you're going to invest you know, $25 million a year in probably is what it will cost to, to keep a quarterback like these days. So every year, you know, last three years, we've talked about Winston taking a step forward in terms of minimizing his turnovers. Um, that's kind of been the limiting factor in his success so far. In that he's made plays, he's thrown for 4,000 yards twice and connected with Mike Evans and now with O.J. Howard and Cameron Braid. Uh, but again, if you're throwing double-digit interceptions every year, that's going to mitigate the plays you're making. So uh, I felt like he took a step forward in interceptions last year and definitely lowered his interception percentage, but still has a big trouble with, with fumbles. I mean, led the NFL in fumbles, led the NFL in fumbles, lost. Um, just has to be more aware of, of what's around him and, and know when to throw it away, know when to tuck the ball in and take a sack without giving up a fumble. And that'll be where he can probably make the biggest step. I mean, they were 9-7 and seven two years ago, and everybody figured they were a playoff team. Uh, and, and they go 5-11, and 11, which was, you know, a massive disappointment here. Uh, if they just get back to being 9-7, and seven, that's going to be a big step forward for them. they got a tough schedule. Uh, but how much Jameis can take those steps forward, to me, is, is a big part of how, how improved they can be as a team. Greg, we're up against a commercial break. Do you have uh, a few minutes to hang tight with us and, and resume after yeah, the break? Okay, great. Sure. Then uh, stick with us, everyone. We'll take our next commercial break and be back to talk a little bit more Tampa Bay Buccaneers football with Greg Allman of the Tampa Bay Times. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Thunder chickens beware, we're coming for ya. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, it's all about the Spring Gobbler Smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards. Joining us is David Blanton of Bill Jordan's Realtree Outdoors and Monster Bucks, outdoor writer M.D. Johnson, and Pete Muller from the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 
1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at the themikeabadeershow.com. Now, back to this week's program. For all you Buccaneers fans out there, a great Twitter follow is at Greg Amon. Covers the Lightning, Buccaneers, NFL, all things Tampa, really. I saw a tweet I was reading all last night that was great. It was talking about Sam Malone from Cheers and where he would be 25 years later. That was something that Greg tweeted out. So thanks for that story, (laughs) Greg, too. I got caught in the Cheers Cheers hole last night, which was great. I I, uh, flipped a few episodes on when I was going to sleep. So now I'm in Cheers mode again. So really great follow. You can get one of those... uh... One of those YouTube vortexes where you lose yourself in old series clips and then go on for like two hours or something. Exactly. That's awesome. So we went into the commercial break talking about Jameis Winston and his progression. During the commercial break, I was bringing up the fact that it's really interesting because his quarterback rating has gone up in each of the years that he's been in the league, yet the uh, QBR has uh, gone down. And uh, Greg astutely pointed out the fact that it's really because of fumbles, which are not incorporated in one of the stats versus the other one. He fumbled 10 times last year, Greg. Is that really a case of hand size, or is he just not protecting the football? Is it a blindside issue? What are your observations? Yeah, there's, there's definitely, I mean, there's a couple of them that are like bot snaps. There's, uh, there's two or three that are just straight-up sack fumbles. Um, and there's some that are him reaching, trying to make a play that he should. So it, it kind of... There's not one thing he needs to get. He just has to be better at protecting the football. Um, and, again, that includes a couple of interceptions when it's situations where you don't need to be making unnecessary risks. So I think he, he's well aware uh, of how that's limited him, how well he's able to actually kind of kick the habit and, and lessen things up a little bit. That'll be a big part of who he is this coming season. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Tampa- Ronald Jones a little bit. Um, when you, uh, when you started talking about the draft picks, and I'm curious, I'll, I always got to talk Rojo or my USC guys, I'm a big USC fan. And um, from, so from the backfield standpoint, it, it, do you think he's going to be the guy getting the, the majority of the carries because it looks like it's him, Barber, and Jacquez? Is, is that what the backfield consists of right now? Yeah, and, and Charles Sims is back as well. He's kind of a, a third-down, pass-catching kind of guy they like. Uh, but no, the, the two main guys that will carry the load here will be Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber, and probably in that order. Uh, I think they like Peyton Barber. He's a third-year guy. was an undrafted kid coming out of Auburn two years ago. Ended up being their leading rusher last year. Uh, but, again, I think that there's a big play potential that they sorely lacked that they like about Ronald Jones. So what will hold him back in terms of reps and, and playing time is just making sure the pass protection is where it needs to be, uh, being able to run some routes out of the backfield, those kind of things. His, his run game, already you see a burst and a gear that he has that the Bucks have really lacked. I mean, they had some good years out of Doug Martin, but I don't think Doug had the, the big play threat that, that Ronald Jones will have. I think the number was uh, 12 games in college at USC where he had a run of at least 40 yards or longer. So that, that's something they've missed here in Tampa. Well, it's really interesting because you had mentioned, uh, you know, how many more touchdowns they could have got to, you know, change their ranking from, uh, you know, whatever it was, 24th, uh, substantially from that uh, to eight. So when I, when I look at the Tampa Bay Bucks, here's what I see. I see a team that is on the improve, but in probably the toughest division in the NFL. Uh, that NFC South division produced three playoff teams. And there's probably 
three Super Bowl contenders, legit Super Bowl contenders in that division. The Bucks went one and five within their division, and they went one and seven on the road. What are some of the things that you think they are focusing on to improve both of those statistics? Definitely defense. I mean, it starts there. I mean, they um, getting off the field on third down, having a a steady pass rush. I mean, the Bucks had 22 sacks as a team last year, um, which is dead last in the NFL. Uh, in terms of, you know, the, the quarterback rate, I, I always look at opposing quarterback rating, and I think they had four guys last year that had a 125 or higher against them. Wow. Um, just a veteran quarterback, if, if you're not consistently getting the quarterback, they're going to have time to pick you apart, and it seemed like, especially in the first half of last season, Every guy they were facing was a guy that had been in the in the league 10, 12 years. They're facing Eli Manning and, and all these veteran types um, that just picked them apart and had no trouble finding the seams in the defense. So, uh, again, they, they kept Mike Smith. They brought him back. Uh, the one move they did make was adding Brenton Buckner as a defensive line coach. But we talked about all the additions they made at the line of scrimmage. So I think it will be much better there. That's probably where it has to start. And then I think having a better run game is going to help them. We talked about Ronald Jones. They, they brought in Ryan Jensen, the center for Baltimore, who's now the highest-paid center in the NFL. Uh, I think they're expecting a lot to be better as an offensive line. And especially for Jameis, when we talk about him and turnovers, if he has a good run game and a balance that comes with that, I don't think he's going to quite feel that same pressure to make the hero throws and, and the, the Favre-type passes that are just a little too high a risk. And I think if he just stays within himself a little bit, that'll they'll be better for it. You mentioned bringing Mike Smith back. The coaching staff, let's talk about them for a minute. Veteran coaching staff, um, as you know, I've got a good relationship with the head coach, Dirk Cutter. Uh, I think he's a great coach. Think of the world of him. But is this pretty much make or break year? Yeah, no, and honestly, there's some people that, that didn't think he would get here year three. Uh, I mean, to be 9-7 and seven and be 5-11 and 11 with the, the high expect. There was so much excitement about this team last year with, with hard knocks and, and the attention you get from that. Um, I do think it's a good thing that the Bucks are patient. Um, you know, there's a lot of coaches here that didn't get a third year. You know, Lovey Smith, and Cristiano. Uh, so Dirk has an opportunity here where, where he definitely needs to take a step forward. Um, there's some that will say it's got to be a winning record or it's got to be the playoffs. But I think more than anything, it just has to be a – momentum and a feeling of, of being relevant and competitive like you guys talked about in this NFC South that has, you know, former MVPs and former Super Bowl teams everywhere you look. Um, so that, that means Cutter's got to line up against, you know, six playoff, uh, six games against playoff teams in his division. The Eagles come here. The Steelers come here. Uh, it, it's a daunting schedule, but it's something where, I mean, I think they feel confident they can be much better than the team they put on the field last year. And I think the NFC as a whole is pretty good. I mean, there are a lot of teams that have improved. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those things where there's probably eight, nine teams that might be deserving of a playoff team out of the NFC. And when we look at it, there's probably going to be the, the two or three dominant ones in the AFC and then a bunch of junk. Uh, you know, that's just kind of my read on it right now. Obviously, in the right. NFL, lots changes. Yeah, and you look at the schedule. I mean, the NFL, there's only two games in an NFL schedule that get determined by where you finish in the standings, right? And the Bucks again, are a last-place team, so they get two last-place opponents on their schedule. And even those, okay, are San Francisco and Chicago, who are probably two of the most improved teams in the NFL. So the yeah. idea that, hey, 
you guys had a rough year. We're going to help you out. Here's a Niners team that won their last five games, and here's a Bears team that has an up-and-coming quarterback and, and loaded up on offense in the offseason, has a new first-year coach. It, it just, the schedule doesn't do them any favors. So, yeah, they'll, they'll have the work cut out. Even if they're a better team, having that translate to, to much more wins than what they had. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, bottom line, where do you shake out on the Bucks? I know it's early. You know, I know it's, it's still like, – we haven't yeah, even right, hit Memorial right Day. Right, but. <laughs> right. Um, it's like I think the over-under right now is like six and a half right now. Um, and I certainly tend to take the over on that. Um, how much better than that, I don't know. If they were better than eight and eight, it'll be one of the better stories in the NFL, getting back to irrelevance here. That means Jameis is healthy and not suspended and playing well, which are all three big things for him. If it's less than six, seven wins, like you said, I mean, now you have to worry about where the head coach is gone. That's going to be a big change. Now you've got a head coaching change right as you're trying to decide on whether to sign the quarterback to a long-term deal. So there's a, a lot of things that hinge on the success of this season in terms of the stability or the instability of this franchise. Good stuff. Well, we definitely appreciate you joining us, Greg. Why don't you give uh, the listeners where they could follow you and how they can read your work? Yeah, everything with the Tampa Bay Times is, is online at tampabay.com. Um, as you guys mentioned, thank you on Twitter. Uh, at my name, which is Greg Allman, G-R-E-G-A-U-M-A-N. And uh, if you're here locally, you're here at the Times, just get the paper on your doorstep. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again as we get closer to the season and uh, get our fill of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Greg. Take it easy, guys. You too. That was good stuff there from uh, Greg. Yeah, and what Definitely. I like about Greg, too, is, um, you know, he's he's now it's going to start focusing in on the Bucs, but when you when you look through his timeline, it's, Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa Bay Rays, a lot of things that are happening down in Florida, overall sports betting, as I mentioned. I, uh, I caught that great article about what, what would Sam Malone be doing right now. And it was talking uh-huh. about how Sam Malone was serving as a bartender. He'd be a mixologist somewhere, and he'd be all frustrated with all the different um, uh, beer choices and this and that. So it's just good stuff. He, he's, uh, he's a really sharp guy and, uh, and just a great follow. So make sure you check it out if you're following any of those teams. He's, he's going to keep you uh, abreast as to what's going on. Absolutely. So we got about a minute and a half, Gino, and uh, we mentioned quick a birthday shout out to a couple of my buddies. How uh, funny and two, Doug O'Neill and Mark Verge, both birthdays today uh, on the same day. And they're two, I think, best friends. They've been best friends um, since a very, very young age. And I had the privilege of meeting the two of them. One of the best days I've ever had at the racetrack. I made uh, about 25 grand that day. I hit a pick six down at Del Mar. And that night I was out. Um, and uh, I met Doug, and I met Mark, and I was trying to show off, and I said, I'll pay for your drink, come up here, and this and that, and so we hit it off very well right off the bat, and I've, uh, I've had a great relationship with uh, both of those guys. When I got sick, they named a horse fight on Gino after me, so nice. I want to give them a big birthday shout-out because they're two of my favorite people out there. Well, happy birthday, guys. That's good stuff, Gino. we got about 30 seconds before we have to wrap up here. Who wins tonight, Warriors or Rockets? God, man, Warriors always seem to bounce back. The Iguodala will be the key because missing him hurt a lot. But, man, how about if the Warriors win tonight and really put the pressure? I know you and I both thought the series price on the Warriors was the play because these teams were evenly matched. I'm going to take the Rockets tonight. Let's put the pressure on the Warriors. Let's go Rockets. And do do the Celts close them out? No, I think that's going to go seven. So next week we'll have some fun, and next week we'll be able to to start talking about what the NBA Finals look like. I think LeBron's going to bounce back after one of the worst kind of games you've seen from LeBron in a long time. So bounce back time. 
good stuff there. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. Whether you're listening live, whether you're listening on demand, keep listening, keep liking, keep clicking. And we will see you guys next Thursday. And feel free to chime in in between now and then. Let's have a conversation about the handle, see how we can improve it, and keep this game strong. That is horse racing. Have a great one, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.